All right, let us pray and, and get into this this morning. Martyrs for Jesus. Father, we thank you for all the martyrs who have gone on before us. We can't even number them. It's just so many. And uh, we realize that uh, we are sitting in relative freedom this morning, but uh, Smyrna may be coming to America shortly. We don't know. And so we ask that as we're looking uh, at your word today in, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, that, uh, that we will absorb the truth that is here, and may we, like them, be prepared in case it in, indeed comes here. And so uh, we want to be able to confront that uh, like you instruct us here in your word. And we ask that you'll help us to do that should that come. And we ask for your help right now as we look at this passage of scripture. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me now for this time. I need that. I can't do this without you. I trust and depend in you totally for it. And I ask that you might give us some really sweet things from your word here this morning that is going to build us and make us and mold us to be more like you and give us strength for these days. That we will indeed stand strong for you no matter what happens. So we're looking to you right now. We give you praise and we give you thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Martyrs for Jesus, Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Last time we looked at point number one. Christ is characterized by his deity and resurrection power. We saw that in verse number eight. Then we began to get into point number two. The church is commended for its faith and perseverance in verses 9 and 10. We got through subpoint A. We must accept sacrifice. That was verse number 9. Today, we pick it up with subpoint B. We will be attacked by Satan. We will be attacked by Satan. Satan, verse number 9. We did the first part of verse 9 the last time. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And now we go on with, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The church at Smyrna was particularly attacked by the Jewish population 
of the city. They were slandered by what John vividly describes as, quote, a synagogue of Satan. What does that mean? Well, first of all, these were literal descendants from Abraham by physical birth, but not by spiritual birth. Jesus had pretty much the same thing to say about this in John chapter 8 and verse number 44, where Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And interesting, when it comes to casting in the lake of fire and who's going to go there, it says all liars, and Satan is the father of the liars. So physical heritage is no indication of spiritual standing. These hostile persecutors were tools of the devil, and they were God's chosen people, Israel. They were under the influence of Satan. And ultimately, Satan, the adversary, is the real enemy. Second, no text in the Bible gives warrant for any thought or act of anti-Semitism. We are not to be Jew haters. No, sir, we are not. Anti-Semitism is rising fast in our world. It is rising fast in America. So we need to have a Christian perspective on this. Now, I don't agree with everything that uh, John Piper believes, but he has a very good take on anti-Semitism, and I want to share that uh, with you this morning. Anti-Semitism has seemed amazing to me because Jesus was a Jew. And all the twelve apostles were Jews, and the whole of our Bible was written by Jews, with the exception of possibly Luke. And Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews in John 4.22. And so to be Christian is to be grafted into the covenant made with Abraham, the first Jew. Romans eleven seventeen to 24. And to become a Christian is to become, quote, Jewish, a child of Abraham by faith, Galatians 3, 7. And on top of all that, the day is coming when the nation of Israel will be brought back to her Messiah and be saved and become one with the Christian church in the covenant of grace established with Abraham, Romans 11, 25 and 26. So how could so much anti-Semitism, hatred and persecution and ridicule rise up in the Christian church? Part of the answer is found in texts like this one, the one that we're studying in Revelation. It shows that the animosity from the Jewish community toward the Christian church in the first two or three centuries was immense. And it started to go both ways. 
I only mention this as a partial explanation, not as a justification. Hatred and persecution and ridicule towards Jews as a people is never justified. Our main disposition should be Paul's. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. And so I exhort you, don't joke about Jewishness. Don't use cavalier stereotypes. Don't hate. Don't ridicule. If you pray for Jewish people the way Paul and Stephen and Jesus did, with a heart longing for their salvation and love for them as the estranged people of God, you will find it very difficult to make jokes or speak disparagingly. And so I don't believe we have that issue in this church. Uh, we love Israel. We love God's people. We back them. But there are uh, elements uh, within the church that don't like them and say bad things about them. And it's kind of hard to imagine that, isn't it? But it happens. That brings us to uh, subpoint C. We can anticipate suffering. We can anticipate suffering. Suffering, and that's in verse number ten. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and that ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Verse 10 now is flowing naturally from verse number 9, and there is a command to trust, and there is a promise of suffering. Jesus says, don't fear what you are about to suffer. The devil and his puppets are going to throw some of you in jail to test you, to try you. God will use that to refine you, to make you better. Your faith, your love, your loyalty for me is going to come forth through that suffering. It says here, 10 days, affliction for 10 days. What does that mean? That means that the time of suffering is a limited time period. And our great Father in heaven controls that time period. He allows it, but it will endure for only as long as our God says so. We have been spoiled for many, many decades here in the United States of America. We have not really felt real persecution. However, some of our fellow Christian citizens have, have been thrown into jail, have been persecuted. We must be prepared for those who oppose Christ and oppose Christianity who are going to oppose us and they're going to persecute us. They are already saying that we are wrong, that we are bigoted, that we are dangerous, that we are evil. They're saying that now about the Christians in America. We will be slandered as anti-choice, anti-diversity, anti-gay, anti-inclusion, and anti-intolerance. We can anticipate Smyrna 
coming to the United States of America. We can expect economic boycott. We can expect government restrictions. We can expect social ostracism. Persecution and imprisonment will likely become a reality here in the United States of America. It's already true in other parts of the world. We, are, we have the Atlantic Ocean and we have the Pacific Ocean, but way across those oceans there is persecution of our brethren now. What should our response be to this? Well, it should be exactly what we read here in the book of Revelation. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Expect it. Expect it. Receive it from the hands of a sovereign God who is testing and refining your faith. Remember the words in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Point number three this morning. The church is challenged by God's reward and promise. The church is challenged by God's reward and promise, verses 10 and 11. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, saith unto the churches, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Be faithful unto death. King Jesus will give you a crown of life, or should I say, the crown of life. This is a victor's crown. This crown of life is none other than eternal life. It is the reward for all whose faith is in the crucified and risen Son of God. Crowns are mentioned a number of times in the Bible. So let's take a quick look and review them. The crowns of the Bible. Number one is the crown of life, which we just read about in Revelation 2.10, also in the book of James 1 verse 12. Secondly, there is the crown of righteousness, found in 2 Timothy 4.8. Thirdly, there is the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5.4. Fourthly, there is the crown of gold in Revelation 4.4. 4. Fifthly, there is the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. And number six is the crown of incorruption in 1 Corinthians 9.25, each of these crowns in some way draws attention to the blessings of salvation that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter B, we will overcome the second death. We will 
overcome the second death. That's in verse number 11. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We will overcome the second death. There is something that is far worse than physical death. And that is spiritual and eternal death called here the second death. In Revelation 20 verse 14, it is called the lake of fire. Revelation 21.8 tells us who's going to be there. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It is the second death that Jesus Christ left heaven to come down here to rescue us from. Revelation 20 verse 6 tells us because of Christ, this death has absolutely no power over us at all. John's challenge is, Smyrna, church, are you listening? The Holy Spirit is speaking truth to the churches. There is an eternal reward and an eternal promise. Stay with Jesus no matter what. There is going to be unbelievable glory on the other side. About 60 years after John wrote the words to the church at Smyrna, there would be a man who would not be afraid and was faithful unto death. He was the pastor of the church in Smyrna. His name is Polycarp. He was a literal disciple of the Apostle John, greatly loved by the church there in Smyrna. Well, the citizens and the government did not love him at all. And in A.D. 155, Polycarp was arrested, tried, and martyred. They burned him at the stake and then stabbed him to make sure of his death. I read a lot of accounts about Polycarp and how he died and, and all of this. And some of them, I don't know if they're far-fetched or if they are literally miracles that happened as he was tied to the, or, yeah, tied to the stake. It's, it's like the flames were going over him and not really toasting him. But so, and that's why they took a, a stiletto, which is a, a short dagger with a long skinny blade with a really sharp point, and they stabbed him with that, that thing to make sure he's dead. <laughs> we don't want a bunch of miracles going on here. We want this guy to be dead. And so this is the oldest account of Christian martyr outside of the New Testament. He went through an incredible ordeal. They tried to convince him to recant. They said, curse Christ and we will let you go. Well, this is what he said. 
86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Then they threatened to call in the wild beasts. Change your mind. And Polycarp said, call the wild beasts in. Well, they didn't like that, so now they threatened, we're going to burn you at the stake. He said, let's go. Fire doesn't last long, and you don't know the fire of the coming judgment and everlasting punishment for the ungodly. This guy knew his stuff. 86 years old, a disciple of John. Amazing. Well, finally, uh, they tried to crack him, but they couldn't do it. And they were amazed at his courage and his joy and, and his face. It was just full of grace. And so finally, they gathered the wood and they tied him to the pole. And he, he prayed an amazing prayer. And then they lit the fire. We must remember the words of our Savior in John 15, 18 and 20. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. We also have other individuals who were martyred, uh, such men as Wycliffe. Uh, Wycliffe uh, was interested in getting uh, the Bible into the common language of the people. And so he translated the Latin Vulgate into common English. He was a 14th century theologian. He was persecuted for his stand against papal authority. While he was not burned at the stake as a martyr, his persecution extended beyond his death. His body was exhumed and burned along with many of his writings. The anti-Wycliffe statute of 1401 brought persecution to his followers and specifically addressed the fact that there should not be any translation of scripture into English. Hmm. Who was behind that? The devil himself. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You got to have the word of God. And so these men were getting it into English. You had John Huss, a Czech priest who was burned at the stake for heresy against the doctrines of the Catholic Church. He fought against the doctrines of ecclesiology and the Eucharist as taught by the Roman Catholic Church. He was an early reformer. Huss was martyred on July 6, 1415. He refused to recant his position of the charges that were brought against him. On the day that he died, he uh, said this, God is my witness that the things charged against me I have never preached. In the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors, I am ready to die. And then there was William Tyndale, known for his 
uh, translation of the Bible into English. It was the first to draw significantly from the original languages. Tyndale was choked to death while tied to the stake, and then his dead body was burned. So down through history, this is what our brothers and sisters have gone through. A more recent one, 1956, was Jim Elliott and his four uh, assistant missionaries uh, who were killed trying to get the gospel to the Indians in South America. So uh, the story goes on. The scriptures go on. Uh, they're not ending. The same things that happened in the early church in the first 300 years are continuing, have continued from that time to go on in some part of the world to this day. And so Jesus is telling us this morning, as he told the church then, be ready, be prepared, and face it as a true child of the King. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful words of Scripture that we have looked at this morning. We're so thankful for this church at Smyrna, uh, who many uh, went to their death for you, persecuted. And we're so thankful that uh, we find out in your word that, that they did not have to be rebuked or corrected for anything. And so we ask uh, today that we may be like them in our Christian lives. We ask that there would be nothing to report against us this morning. Uh, we ask that you would help us to remain faithful to you all the days of our life and to literally be more committed to you every day that we live. Help us to do that, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.